The 2023 and 24 NBA trade deadline arrived on February the 8th with a good number of transactions, but no blockbuster deals reached upon. Some teams had to make a move because they're in a win right now or nothing situation by their own hands. Some teams chose to take no action because there was, that was the best action for them, and there were more teams in between. Anyway. Any call they made should be well thought, but that didn't mean it couldn't be a mistake. Welcome back to CGTN Sports Talk. I am your host Li Xiang. Let's begin with the biggest winners on the trade market: the New York Knicks and the Dallas Mavericks. The Knicks traded for Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks with the Detroit Pistons by giving up Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Malik Flynn. Ryan Anticicano and two future second-round draft picks. You know, when I already thought that Leon Rose should be Executive of the Year for acquiring OG Ananobi from the Toronto Raptors, he did more excellent work of adding two quality pieces who can launch attack off the dribble to make the Knicks even more intimidating in the top race in the Eastern Conference. Bogdanovich averaged. 18.8 points and knocked down 2.5 three-pointers at over 40 percent per game since 2018 and 19. Burks made two triples at 40.3 percent per game in five straight seasons. What did the Knicks miss the most before the trade? Three-point shooting ability and players who can ease the offensive burden off the shoulders of Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. Now they got both in Bogdanovich and Burks without using any of the future first rounders and swaps they have, which means, whenever there's a star available for trade, the Knicks will have enough assets to compete for him for the number one market of the NBA. The Mavericks traded for P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford plus two second rounders with the Charlotte Hornets and the Washington Wizards by giving up. Grant Williams, Seth Curry, Rashawn Holmes, two future first-rounders, and one swap. One thing for sure is that the trade made the Mavs a better team. They have been one of the most imbalanced franchises between offense and defense for multiple seasons, but they still have a standard in choosing players. If possible, they prefer strong forwards who can swing between four and five and shoot a lot of threes. That's where Washington fits. They need efficient finishers who can put Luka Doncic's magical passes into the basket. Norman Powell used to be their guy, but not anymore after injury. Derek Lively will be that guy, but not at the moment. Besides, he gets injured easily. Gafford is exactly what the Mavs need. The problem is, are what the Mavericks gave up worth what they gained? I'm not talking about the three players because Grant Williams has proved a bust in the past month. Seth Curry may be counting his days in the NBA. Holmes probably is ahead of him on that road. But the 2027 first rounder the Mavericks gave to the Hornets is only top two protected, which isn't much different from not protected at all. There have they have a swap with OKC in 2028. Judging by their roster and contracts, it's hard to imagine that the Mavs will be the winning side of it if the swap actually happens. 
basically the Mavericks have given up control over their future until 2030, in exchange for the lineup they have at the moment. It's good, but not NBA Finals good. Luka Doncic is in his sixth season with the team, and the best he did was reaching the Western Conference Finals once. He has a player option for the 2026-27 season. I'm not saying that Luka will definitely opt out of it or leave Dallas, but the last one who had kept saying, "I want to finish my career in this team, loyalty beats a ring. I will never leave." Asked to be traded and join the Milwaukee Bucks. If the Mavericks don't want to go through the dark draft pick list future without Doncic, they better pray that the squad they have now works. Next, let's talk about the Thunder. They didn't fix all of their problems, but still made an upgrade. The team traded for Gordon Hayward with the Hornets by giving up Davis Bertans, Tryman. Visage, message, and a future draft pick. We know what the OKC need. They know it themselves: a strong big man who can tussle with monsters in the paint, better able to shoot threes. Okay, enlighten me. Which team doesn't want that kind of rare resources? There weren't many or any players like this available for trade, so the team chose to fix another shortcoming of theirs. If I need to assemble a clutch time squad for the OKC, well, Shai, well, well, Shai Joseph Alexander, Jalen Williams, Chad Holmgren, and Lugans Dort are no-brainers. But none of the rest of the team makes a good choice for the fifth spot until Hayward arrives. He is strong enough to guard most forwards in the league. And average 14.5 points, 4.6 assists with two turnovers per game this season. Hayward doesn't need to be a full-time playmaker, just like neither SGA nor Williams will have to when the three are playing together on the court. Besides, Hayward has an inspiring contract that will release 31.5 million dollars on the OKC's payroll this summer, and got rid of Burton's toxic deals as well as the two players they don't need at all. After the Knicks, Mavericks, and Thunder, there were teams that did something better than nothing to improve their roster. The Minnesota Timberwolves added Monty Morris. The Boston Celtics landed Xavier Tillman and Jaden Springer. The Milwaukee Bucks traded for Patrick Beverly. The Phoenix Suns acquired Royce O'Neal and David Roddy. Morris is supposedly a solid orchestrator who barely makes mistakes. Supposedly because he played only six games this season and no longer than 17 minutes in any of them with poor stats. But judging by his career performance of averaging four assists with only 0.8 turnover per game, he can be counted on as a bench orchestrator once he shakes off his rust. More importantly, the Timberwolves don't have another better choice. The assets they can give are not even close to making an offer for Tyus Jones. Their starting point guard Mike Conley is 36 and an expiring contract. The other playmaker who shoulders a big part of the playmaking duty, Kyle Anderson, will become a free agent too this summer. Say even if the Timberwolves keep neither. Their salary for the 2024-25 season will surpass 170 million dollars, 
way above the luxury tax line, eliminating nearly all of the chances for the team to make any improvement, no matter how tiny it is, by signing free agents. The Celtics added two seemingly good defensive resources off the bench in Tillman and Springer. Tillman is strong enough to take over monsters like Giannis and agile enough to switch to guard perimeter players. Though he's a terrible, terrible finisher, the Celtics don't really need him to do much on that end of the game in the first place. Springer should be able to extend the Celtics' bench depth, depth defensively with his energy, athleticism, and will of sparing no efforts. But yes, there's a but. Defense has never been the biggest factor holding the Celtics from going further. Is their unreliable offense, more specifically the untrustworthy offensive performance of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that has always cost the team the series in the previous seasons? I thought the arrival of Kristaps Porzingis could be a solution on this front, but judging by their losses so far this season, the Celtics are to be overestimated whenever they play against a true title contender like the Nuggets, the Clippers, or even not so serious ones like the Lakers. One thing that many agreed upon about the Bucks this season is that their defense is disappointing. Especially in the perimeter, no matter who coaches them. If I were the, if it were the Beverly in his prime that they got, he could be of great help. Unfortunately, it was the 35-year-old injury-laden Beverly who was traded to the team. He still has the defensive attitude, but attitude doesn't get you many steals, shooting, or passing deflections, or as, as falls and losses of defensive position. Beverly may leave some defensive highlights in the postseason, but it would be unrealistic to see him as a game changer for the Bucks. The Suns, despite their big three of Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Bradley Beal, are still in desperate need for a true point guard and a big man to swing between power forward and center. Well, they can't have either because the Suns have the second fewest draft picks available to trade. Only the Bucks are worse than them on this front. Adding Rodi to the roster means 35-year-old injury-laden Durant won't have to tussle with those who are younger and probably stronger than him in every position. But don't hold your breath for any contribution from Rodi other than making his defensive targets sweat with his muscles. O'Neal, on the other hand, is a different case. Like Rodi. He is strong enough to switch between the two forward positions. He averaged two triples at 36.6% per game this season, good enough to be seen as a floor stretcher instead of a spacing destroyer. Besides, he is an underestimated passer who can feed the ball to scorers in the low post. Since the Suns have no qualified orchestrator, maybe they just try what the OKC do: have everyone do a little bit of the playmaking work. The above are the teams that did real work before the trade deadline. The following three teams, hmm, didn't, but for good reasons. They're, they are the Los Angeles Lakers, the Golden State Warriors, and the Los Angeles Clippers. The impressive work of Rob Pelinka last year of turning Russell Westbrook's toxic contract into a series of premium role players made people wonder. 
if he still had any similar trick in his sleeves. But the Lakers didn't make any deal because they have a very, very realistic concern: LeBron James can become a free agent this summer. If he leaves, the Lakers will need to cancel whatever team-building plan they had originally. If LeBron stays, let's see, he is 39 now. No matter on what contract he stays with the Lakers, the reasonable assumption is that he won't be a champion player in another two years, if not one. When the team continues to lose, they want at least something for themselves to lose for, not to lose to help another team get good draft picks. But that doesn't mean the Lakers are not trying to improve their squad. They just reached an agreement with Spencer Dinwiddie to add more depth to the point guard position. When you don't have enough to make a highly risk bet, but do have a lot to lose, the wise choice is to bet on two hands. If LeBron still has enough gas in his tank, great. The Lakers will have more assets to trade for a big target this summer. If he further slips and shows no sign of turning back, then at least they have a not so dim future to count on. The Warriors only made one move of sending away Corey Joseph to the Pacers to lower down the luxury tax and give a bigger role to lesser Quinos. If We see the Lakers as a player who chose to keep his chips on the table. The Warriors are more like having no chips, or at least no chips that others want. No one wants to face Clay Thompson without compensation, which the Warriors don't want to give. There's no way that Andrew Wiggins can be traded for someone better than him. Chris Paul is an expiring deal and a big one of thirty point eight million dollars. Keeping him to release cap space this summer sounds better than replacing him with another deal that may be longer and bigger. Besides, the Warriors have been playing better and better these days. Wiggins is slowly but surely finding his form back in finishing and defense. Thanks to Draymond Green's return, Wiggins and Jonathan Kuminga can play together to work for the team. Kuminga has proved with his performance in the past nine games that he can shoulder a bigger role on the offensive end. Steve Kerr seemed to have made up his mind to cut Thompson's role on rotations and time of playing on the court. And it doesn't mean that the Warriors have no chance of improving their lineup. Kyle Lowry has reached a buyout with the Hornets. Thaddeus Young was waived by the Nets. Otto Porter Jr., who has proved himself in the Warriors by winning a title, may become available as a free agent in the same way. All of them can help the Warriors, which can sign a, which can sign one of them, maybe two, at least for the rest of the season. The Clippers didn't move at all on the trade deadline. They are now in the West top and have already paid too much for the squad they have. In other words, the team is exactly in the win-or-nothing situation. They could definitely use a backup power forward or a backup center. Then why didn't the Clippers trade for anyone? Well, for starters, the Clippers are outmatched by the Mavericks in chasing Washington. So what about Kelly Olynyk? It's true that the Clippers could make a better offer than a first-round pick, which was what the Raptors sent to the Jazz to land Olynyk. But by dealing with the Raptors, the Jazz didn't have to take in P.J. Tucker and his contract that still has 
two years of over 22 million left from the Clippers. Besides, enhancing the interiors is a solution, not the solution, to improve their strength. Coach Tai Lu has found a team, a small ball squad that has already been good enough to beat many opponents. The top race is already too close for players like Washington or Olenek to have an impact on. Perhaps the Clippers have chosen to trust what they have at the moment instead of counting on unpredictable changes. Based on the transactions made on the trade deadline, it's clear that most teams wanted to play safe, both for both the present and the future. If there was no perfectly satisfactory target available, making the second best deal or even the third best deal was not necessary for many teams. So maybe making no move is the best move. And I think that's all for today. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, we'll be hearing from you guys very soon next week. See ya.